Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. Oh my goodness. I um, It feels very, you know, like vintage tonight, don't you think? Like, yeah. Even, yeah. Though, even though you're rocking your new hair, I'm rocking our new <laughs> merch. It does feel to me pre-pandemic. Um, I just picture myself, it's dark, it's late, we're in your room, it's hot as fuck, we're drinking. Yeah, always. Um, I, I want to go back there. I want to I wanna break free. But you know what? This is good too. It feels... Retros, maybe not the right word, but I just... think yeah. Our subject also tonight just has me in this yeah vibe, I this f- mood. I feel sort of wrapped in warmth, but also a little a little sad. Yes. Before we jump all the way in, hi everyone. This is the Mixed Reviews. We're a film podcast in which we take a subject such as an actor, director, or a mini genre, and what we do is we give you an entire history. We're like a big old history book, but we make it a little more fun. I would say yeah. not a big old history book, like a like a, a Spark Notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're we're cliffs to Cliffs Notes. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. we're both just cliffs. I have no <laughs> idea where this metaphor is going, but then we also tell you what we really like, and then we tell you what we maybe don't like so much. Yeah, the reviews are in fact mixed, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Absolutely. And if you go back to last week's episode in which we had our great guest, Connor O'Donnell, of the B-Side podcast for the film stage, the reviews on Chris Pine, our prior subject, they were mixed. They were very mixed. Yeah, Um, we did not know who we were picking for our five-star reviews, our one-star reviews. We We didn't know nothing. And it turns out, when we did our poll, it was even more mixed. Yeah, it was kind of contentious, I would say. Absolutely. A lot of others came in. And those others really really like ran the gamut there was a couple princess diaries two there was a couple into the woods some wonder woman some wonder woman uh manish gave wonder woman yeah it's it's interesting to see what everybody likes but why don't you give the results and i'm just gonna pretend like they didn't happen Right, because for the first time, or not the first time, but in a long time, Gavin is in last place at 14% with Unstoppable. Oh, Um, dead last. Dead last. I guess I'm pretty stoppable. He was stopped, unlike that train. That, that, (laughs) what what does Rosario Dawson call it? That's a Um, missile on wheels. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Ah! Um, It's fun. It's cute. Other came in at 16%, and we mentioned a couple of the things that uh, people mentioned. My pick, Hell or High Water, came in at 32%. And then our special guest's pick, Connor's pick, Star Trek, came in at a top at 38%. So... Has that happened before? Has has I think I think I think it may I mean maybe I don't know. I feel like it'd be rare. <gasps> oh, let's get our interns on it. Interns. Interns. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Just yeah. Okay. Yeah. What if we'll we feed had, you later? We'll what feed if we you had, later. What, what if our interns were straight? You know, like we don't need gay interns. We need straight ones. Yes. Like uh, I mean, honestly, for Chris Pine, it was like yeah, I need straight interns. What's going on over there with Chris <laughs> Pine? I don't get it. I don't get it. But um, I, I will say, people love Captain Kirk, and I do not blame them. I'm a big yes. Star Trek fan, as I said last episode. So Yes, yes. And um, it was great having Connor on. I thought the episode was really good. And it was really nice to hear from all you guys. Uh, we had to cut a lot from that episode, so make sure you check out the extra special treats that Gavin's been bopping around on the internets for you guys <laughs> to enjoy. I try. Uh, I try and get those extra bits out. You know, sometimes they're really, really funny and it breaks my heart to cut them. And I'm not saying that it's me being funny. It's usually Louis or the guest. <laughs> but it's usually I, Gavin I, like, Louis, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> the end meeting, yeah. um, which we can't do if we were in person. 
which brings us back again. And then retro. But, um, but uh, that wraps up last episode. Gavin, do we have any more old news to delve into? We have one last piece of old business, and I do want to uh, highlight it. So when we did our Eddie Murphy episode, Louis mentioned that we got this tweet from one of our wonderful listeners named Nandi. And it said, I've listened to your Viola, Regina, and Latifah episodes, and I just hit play on Catherine O'Hara. You two are giving people the flowers they deserve, and it's so uplifting. And then Nandi went on to actually give us a five-star review on Yay, iTunes Nandi. or Apple Podcasts, whichever. I still call it both. If you want to give us a five-star rating and review, please go on down to Apple Podcasts and do so. If you don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you can leave reviews wherever on your favorite streaming app. It's just they're you know, the the big game. So, but anyways, Nandi left us this great review. It says, a joyous celebration of the unsung. I discovered this show through This Had Oscar Buzz, and I'm so grateful. Gavin and Louie take such care with the subject of each episode and do a solid, honest exploration of their work. I am slowly but surely working my way through each episode and was floored to be mentioned in their Eddie Murphy episode. <laughs> Color my leather suit surprised. Uh- my name is Nandi, and I approve of this podcast. Okay, Nandi and leather, fashion. <laughs> Work. Wait. Uh, thank you so much for writing in, and, and thank you so much for leaving us the five-star review. As I mentioned before, the reviews, really what they do, and I, I hate begging for them because I feel like I'm like, please give us attention. Please, uh, attention. Oh, just a little more attention, please. I uh, like attention. Attention. <laughs> attention, please. It's fun to rap in a drag queen way. Um... <laughs> But what it does is it sort of tricks the Apple algorithm into being like, wow, these guys are really popular. Yeah. Other people should listen to yeah. them. Yeah. And don't you want to be popular like these guys? And and so it, it helps us out. So it's it's a way that you can give back, I guess, without yes. having to give us anything, really. You're giving us love. and we lots, lots of love. And that's how we sustain ourselves. Correct. That and the blood of virgins. That's how I keep these wrinkles away. They, I don't see one in sight. Good for you, Gavin. Pristine. <laughs> but that wraps up our old business segment. So why don't we get into the subject of this week's, which was actually brought on by a listener request way back when we did our first big giveaway. Uh, the very first entry into our giveaway sent us an email. And it's such a nice email. And I feel really bad because, listen, we have to plan these episodes very far in advance because there's a lot of research that goes into them. Louie and I watch a lot of movies. We watch a lot of interviews. We read a lot of interviews. We read full-on books so we really want to bring you as much information we possibly can and we got this email just entitled a casual request please for the love of black women can we get a cicely tyson episode she's 95 years old every black actress in hollywood cites her as an inspiration and she's fully legendary give her her flowers while she's still here okay thanks bye aaron yeah so aaron sent that I believe it was like in October or November. November 11th. November. Yeah. And so it's hard. The holidays are hard for us just because we usually have, you know, some themes that we usually do. Um, we have our, you know, our, our wrap up roundup of the year. And so we had added Aaron's uh, uh, suggestion to we and we have a couple that are like in the bank that are co- yeah. upcoming, um, including guests coming. And so we finally were like, OK, it's time for Sicily. And we started. Yeah, we were like Black History Month. It's a perfect time. She's ninety six now. Right. We got this on lock. Her her autobiography is coming out. We'll give ourselves just enough time to finish it. Which, by the way, barely because barely. the autobiography came out last week. Uh, a week 
ago from the day that we're recording this. Right. And so literally me and Gavin were texting about, you know, we had just gotten her book and we were reading. And as we were texting, the alert came up on my phone that Miss Cicely Tyson had passed away. And I I literally in all caps, I said, what the fuck, Gavin? Yeah. Uh, I, be- I believe your first text was just she died. And I was like, what does this mean? I, I didn't, I couldn't, even though we were texting about her, but yeah, it was, it was so sad and unexpected and it's shocking. Those, shocking. Yeah. It's one of those things like uh, the only thing I can sort of compare it to. And I know very different people, very different fields, but David Bowie released his final album only a couple days before he died. Right. Cicely Tyson was doing interviews. Her last interview was with, uh, Ryan Seacrest and Kelly Ripa on Live with Kelly and Ryan. And it's crazy because she was doing rounds of press for this book that yeah. just came out. The, the and, book is called Just As I Am. Absolutely. And it is so gorgeous, so beautiful, and so good, and so well written. Uh, she wrote it in conjunction with Michelle Burford, because uh, I want to give her a shout out, too, just because, you know, yeah. it, she contributed if- to it. It's gorgeous, thick yeah. book with this beautiful, beautiful image of a bald Cicely Tyson on it. If you, um, I listened to the Audible audio version of it. If you listen to it, you hear from her. She talks um, at the beginning of it. And I was like, oh my God, is Cicely Tyson about to read me her entire life story? <laughs> she does not. Um, but even just the beginning of that and hearing her talk about, you know, how she waited so long to do this because she thought she didn't have anything to say. She thought like it was kind of silly that people wanted to hear from her. I'm so glad that we got to. I am really um, happy that we were able to consume all of her work. Um, A lot of her work has to do with the Black experience, Black history. Very much so. Um, She's, I mean, she was 96 years old um, and lived through, I mean, just like decades and decades of, you know, seeing the Black uh, civil rights movement really just, you know everything she she saw everything she was there she was she knew everyone she uh, has done so much beyond her film career yeah um and, and it's heartbreaking to hear her talk about a lot of that stuff because yeah. she, you know right up right up front you know she name checks brianna taylor mm-hmm. and she you know she says things like i did not think after all the lives were lost after all the work we put in we would still be here doing yeah. this fight and it's sad. It's sad to like, it's sad to realize that we're still in that position. After the debts that were paid with lives uh, to assure us or ensure us of recognition just as human beings, when we were going through the whole civil rights, I thought, well, our children won't have to go through this. But our children are being shot down for no reason whatsoever. And so, you know, me and Gavin, uh, neither of us is black. But, um, you know, we love film. And I think, you know, to what Aaron said, this is a a woman that deserves her flowers. And we're just sad that, you know... uh, you know, she she's I can't even say like gone too soon. She lived such a full life, but uh, it's it's still a, such a great loss. Um, yeah, she even like, it's God. I'm like remembering now in the book, she says 
rest in peace Chadwick. You know, she yeah. was still keeping up and talking about all these black actors and actors. She has a moment in the book where she talks about running into Alfre Woodard and talking about pay. Um, and, and literally she, uh, she talks when she runs an Alfred Woodard, she talks about pay disparity because essentially Alfred Woodard is incensed because she's not being paid as much as white actresses. And Cicely Tyson realizes, oh, it's not just her. It's not just this older generation. It's happening to everybody. But that's what I love about this book because it is such a celebration of black Hollywood. She does. She talks about every single person that we have done an episode on gets name checked in it. Yep. Regina King, mm-hmm. Angela Bassett, yep. Viola Davis, who wrote the foreword oh. for this book and uh alfred woodard and the list goes on and on and i don't it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine somebody who has had more of an impact on not just black people in america but black women in america Mm -hmm. yeah which which is such a, a a precious and you know put upon class of people yeah so for this episode, think of this as a celebration. Um, think of this maybe as a, a stepping stone for you guys to maybe um, find some of her work that maybe you haven't seen um, and really get into and celebrate the life of Cicely Tyson. Uh, so, Gavin, why don't we jump into the rewind? Cicely Tyson was born on December 19th, 1924. Uh, she, her her family is from Nevis, um, that's in the West Indies, um, and her it's parent- one of the smallest countries in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, it's a tiny, tiny little island. Um, and her parents uh, immigrated to the United States. They literally went through Ellis Island, um, and uh, she was born in Harlem. Her mom was Frederica, and her father was William Augustine Tyson, and. Uh, they were very poor. She ha- she led a very humble, humble childhood, um, very religious childhood. Did she say they're Episcopalian? I believe that's yes. what she yeah. said. Um, but that her, her relationship with her parents, especially her mother, was very important to her. Um, her father was, uh, you know, a carpenter, but he also was a cheater, yes. <laughs> um, philanderer, if you will. That he didn't smoke, he didn't drink, but um, his vice was women. And th- her parents had such a kind of buttoned up. It reminded me a lot of, uh, I don't want to say my family, obviously not my family, but just like. No, but I saw, I saw reflections of my own family in there like, too. He, it, I get... a, a lot of like not talking about like what's wrong. A lot of keeping yeah. quiet. She mentions in the book that, you know, her instinct is to never say anything bad about her family and i definitely understand that i definitely you know you you want to protect sort of the purity of your memories and part of that is sort of looking back with rose-colored glasses yeah but at the same time the truth of it is is nobody's perfect right and so her parents separate but like never really divorce or it takes a long while um, yeah, she said people in Nevis had a tendency to not divorce, right. and some some people would live apart their entire lives. Right, and she has a couple siblings. As children, there were three of us. We were never introduced to the entertainment world as such. We spent most of our time 
in church. Uh, I played the organ, I played the piano, sang in the choir, taught Sunday school. So did my sister, Emily. My brother, of course, was able to sneak out and play marbles in the street. <laughs> you know, like I said, they're poor, but also when they go to church, they are put together. Mom is a seamstress, makes her and her sister matching clothes. Um, she looks at her mom and sees this as like a regal woman. She just had this presence about her. Um, fast forward a little bit, you know, she, her mother has expectations for her to marry a a religious man, someone who, um, as a Christian boy, a good Christian boy. (laughs) And, um, she, by the time she's 17, um, she has met this boy who is like the son of a pastor, I think, I believe. And, um, I don't even know how to describe this. They... She does not know what sex is. She does not know how baby, right. like how babies are made. Um, it her... is a religious upbringing, and then also the education in that era. <laughs> right when it comes to things like sex education, are, are practically non-existent. Right, it's and, like and... just don't. <laughs> Truly, I mean, and if, if you can, like again, take your mind there. Like this was the mid twenties, you know, um, for black people specifically, immigrants, black immigrants in New York City. Um, She's dating this guy who she's like not really into, but her mom loves because he's the son of a pastor preacher person. Um, and sneaky guy that he is pulls her aside one day and they have very quick sexual relations. Um, she says they did not even lie down, they were standing up, and she had no idea that they were even having sex. I don't know, she doesn't describe it as sexual assault, no, but she's she certainly doesn't, but. But it's like she doesn't even understand. Like, I don't know if you if you don't understand what's happening. Can you really consent to something like that? Right. Like, I, I think it's not. I do think this guy was taking advantage of her. He yes. was a little bit older. Um, obviously knew what he the fuck he was doing. Um, but anyway, she has sex and lo and behold, she gets pregnant. Um, and so all of a sudden she is this big shame of her family, her siblings, um, who she kind of thought were like, I don't know, I don't want to say fuck-ups, but like certainly more wild than her. They end up being the more traditional. um, And she's like, oh shit, I have a baby and I'm 17. She doesn't get to graduate from high school. Four weeks. Four weeks from graduating from high school. She's told she's not allowed to graduate. She has to get a job. She starts Mm -hmm. going to night school to support. And she eventually does graduate high school, but it takes her all of this extra time just because... The school was a religious school, and they did yeah. not... Once once they found out she had a child, they were like, I don't think so, honey. Um, oh, and she gets married. That's right. She yeah, gets, she marries this man. As, as soon as her mother finds out that she's pregnant, she gets forced into she, marrying this man. She gets forced into this marriage, and very quickly, she's like, you know what? Nah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, Honestly, I know, I know we're like not even into her film career yet, but I think this is sort of the origin of like her strength is she decides after two years i i'm done i'm not having it she packs up the baby she packs up her stuff and she leaves and she never speaks to this man again yeah truly never never. she said okay bye um i also this is something her film career fully does not start until she is 30 years old and 30 years old and not even like really looking for this type of work. She was not, you know, hustling in New York to like, you know, build a portfolio or make connections 
for acting like so many of the other subjects we've had. She was, you know, doing something else that we'll get into, but it would, it just reminds me and it's something that I love hearing that like people find their bliss and true calling at all ages. And so if Cicely Tyson can fucking strike gold at 30 years old, so can you. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so Cicely, um, I thought this was like the craziest story she told in the, in the book, not the craziest, but one of the craziest. She's like, this guy just like, I don't know, like said, Hey, should you be a model? And Cicely's like, what? Me? No, stop. I am a firm believer in divine guidance. And consequently, I don't think it's something I chose to do, but that I was chosen to do. I was simply walking along the street one day, and someone stopped me and asked me whether or not I was a model. And of I wasn't. I was working as a secretary at the time. And he said, if you aren't, you should be. And I said, how do you do that? Well, you register at a school, and you get a certificate, and then you make the rounds of the various uh, modeling agencies, and someone will sign you. So she just like, bloop, 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 looks in the phone book, calls up, I believe, the first um, African-American modeling agency goes, they immediately fall in love with her. They're like, yes, queen. Um, yeah. They start printing a bunch of pictures of her to send her out on jobs. She pretty quickly starts getting gigs. You know, she's on the cover of Ebony magazine. She's on the cover of, you know, um, there was like, it's not family circle, but it's like very family circle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but uh, <laughs> while she's doing this, she's promising her mom, Listen, I'm not gonna <clears throat> right. to give up my job. I'm gonna work. I have a child to take care of. She, uh, I, I do real She's quick. She's a typist. Address. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, I, she can do over a hundred words per minute, which, by the way, is really impressive because I don't think I can do five words in a minute. <laughs> but I, I do want to mention when it comes to her kid, we're not really gonna talk about her kid that much. She in the book, she gives her child the pseudonym Joan, mm -hmm. and she explains. When she, when her child was a baby, she had to share her with the world. And so her gift back to her when she was older was the ability to spend as much time with her as she possibly could and her privacy. Yeah. So pretty much we're probably not going to mention Joan very much other than she, she did eventually, uh, once she started making money with this modeling and the law clerking job, the typist job, she was able to send her daughter upstate to a school and pay for a private school. Mm -hmm. And it's something that she both is very proud of and also kind of regrets because she missed a large portion of her child's childhood. Yeah, totally. Um, so she is, you know, going on modeling gigs and it's in 1956 um, or thereabouts, she gets uh, noticed by this guy who's like, oh, hey, you know, I we're doing a movie and you look exactly like the character we want. Um, and that's the, the movie is Carib Gold. Um, well, it, it becomes Carib Gold. There's another film that falls through, but. Oh, right, right, right. But so Carib Gold, I watched a little bit of it. The, the music's fun. Um, <laughs> I watched the full thing because it's, it's all available on YouTube and it's like yes. maybe just a little over an hour. Uh, and I, the things that stuck out to me just real quick is um, it's, a majorly black cast. Yep. 
it it is not a film that treats the black characters like oh you're a separate class of people um it's kind of like a it's a b movie it's about a ship that finds gold, gold. And, and the sort of like drama that ensues when one person gets too greedy and there's there's like a voodoo scene but i actually think it was handled pretty decently because it wasn't treated like oh there's magic spells going on it was just treated as a ritual but well, wasn't yeah, the it's... movie made by a man who was trying to create the a black like not um a black studio, essentially. He yes. wanted to make yeah, yeah. black movies in, uh, in a black studio. Um, that did not pan out. Now, all we got to do is chip in. Oh, I see. No, Ben, you don't see. Dottie, yes. Dottie, listen, we're going to have it back a hundred times in a couple of weeks. Sure. But, baby, then you're going to have that operation with a private room, even. Sure. Sure, Bob. And it'll be a success. And we'll have kids. We'll have all the kids we want. We'll have so blooming many kids you won't be able to find a place to walk in the house. This is this is where it becomes tough for me. As you mentioned up front, neither of us are black. I am white. Louis is not. <laughs> um, and so I never want to be in the position where I... Hopefully it all comes across that I'm not centering myself as a white person in a story about racism. I'm just imparting it and and letting you know that I understand and and should be speaking about it but not making it about me uh but you are gonna hear us talk about racism a whole fucking lot because she she ends up you know if if the, the if the Hollywood system had not been as segregated as it is as as awful as it is for people of color we would have so many more Cicely Tyson films. Yeah. She would have had so many more opportunities. Absolutely. She would have been paid more. And it's it's not that we don't remember her as an icon because we do, but she would have had so many more opportunities to prove right. exactly how good she is. And when she just didn't get them. Right. When you think about, you know, Glenn Close or Meryl Streep, you they they have libraries of works to go through. Like there's yeah. actually like levels of like oh that was a really shitty movie that was a whatever movie and that was a great movie Cicely has you know a handful of movies a handful more of TV stuff TV movies yeah. and that's literally just because of lack of opportunity um, it reminded me a lot of when we did our Rita Moreno episode which yes. I recently has come up a lot and I highly recommend you guys go listen to our Rita Moreno episode speaking of giving someone their flowers while they're still alive uh, you know, Rita Moreno wins the Academy Award for West Side Story and then doesn't act for seven more years in film. Yeah. And that happens to Cicely Tyson, where, you know, she gets nominated for Sounder and we'll get there. Don't worry. I know we're going we're trying to go in chronological order. And she does Sounder, does basically a bunch of bit parts. Yeah. And then doesn't act for almost the entirety of the 80s. Yeah, totally. Um before we get to that, though, she well, doesn't act in big screen films. I, I right. meant that. Right. Yeah, yeah. She does a ton of TV. Yeah. So she, you know, is like, why do you want me in this movie? Like, why do you want me? It's, it's the 50s. She's doing being successful at modeling is still typing. Um, but she's like, you, you don't want me. I'm not an actor. Like, what the fuck? And she said, listen, I have an interview schedule for you this afternoon. It's for a movie. I said to her, I don't know anything about movies. Thank you very much, but 
I'm not going to go there and make a fool of myself. <laughs> and um, she kept calling me. And I finally said to her, please don't call me anymore. You're going to make me lose my job. And I hung up the phone. She called me back and she said, just tell me you go over and see this man. He just wants to see you. I said, okay. She realizes, oh, I want to not just jump in and do this. I want to do the work. And so she takes classes. She takes acting classes. Um, I did not know this about her. She is a full method girl. Yeah. I, w- I was shocked to find that out too. But she is literally like, don't talk to me. Yeah, Call don't. me by my character's name. Yeah. Like, when she, when she would get home, she would like close herself in her room and like live Sort of in the person. mindset of that, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so she had small roles, you know, after Carib Gold. And, and in Carib Gold, she's not a big part of it. She's a wife character. Um, I, I do want to briefly mention, when she is sent to her acting classes, the first person they sent her to is Stanislavski. You've heard us mention the name before, I believe, both in Jane Fonda episode and in the Sally Field episode. Very famous, very, like, everybody trained under him. Uh, and they, she's like, I don't want to be with celebrities. I'm new at this. I don't want to. And the first right, person they put right. her in class with is fucking Marilyn Monroe. Right. And, and by the way, too, I do want to mention one of my favorite stories of the book is at the time she has like the little pixie bob because it's what's popular because of Audrey Hepburn and her family keeps calling her Black Audrey, which I love. <laughs> uh, but but she like sees Marilyn Monroe and she's like. Get no, the f- she's like absolutely yeah. not, absolutely <laughs> not, and she decides to like basically eject herself from this acting class to go work in a smaller, you know, more one one. Yeah, and I want, and I don't, I don't blame her, but I just think it's really like this is a person who knows themselves. It's yeah. just like Marilyn Monroe. Fuck no, like yeah. we're yeah. no, we're not doing this. All of the big stars already established Marilyn Monroe and people like that and I I looked up one day and there she was sitting next to me and I said I don't belong here so I stopped going they called me and asked me why I was not attending classes and I said because you put me with a group of professionals I'm not a professional I'm a beginner and I like learning things from the ground up she's like I gotta do the work yeah and so she has like these like little bit parts in these like tiny little movies what really happens, and I think it's because she is, um, you know, in New York City, she enters the world of theater. Um, in the early 60s, she appears in The Blacks, which is a very famous show that had Maya Angelou in it, James Earl Jones in it. It was like this generation of Black theater actors and an opportunity for them to play in a show uh, about Black people, for Black people. Um, and it was like what the longest running off Broadway show that was not a musical at the time. Yes, it ran for fourteen hundred and eight performances, which is so many performances. Yeah, truly. And so she talks a lot in the book about hanging out with her castmates. She was rubbing elbows, you know, with, I mean, literally my Angelou. <laughs> um, and but then just meeting folks in uh, in New York. She has this great story just being like oh i went to this like little italian restaurant called sardi's i was like shut (laughs) up you know just small yeah small small little thing um and so she's she's beginning to to realize oh i like this i i want to do this and i want to 
I want to be an actress. She tells her mother and her mother is like, not on my watch. Yeah. Um, Mom Mm -hmm. is very unsupportive. My mother, I don't know what she wanted me to be. She thought that I was going to live in a den of iniquity because we grew up in the slums, okay? Lots of prostitutes walking up and down the street. And that's all she knew about movies. This is the type of mother that, like, tried to raise her children in the church and tried to raise them in music and wanted her daughters to marry pastor's sons. when we see how that turned out. Mm-hmm. And, and so for her to come in and be like, hey, I want to, you know, give up this thing that I'm making money and I'm doing and to do, you know, what her mother saw as frivolity... Yes, She's but like, not just frivolity, but like sinful frivolity. Yeah. You know, like acting a fool for people. <laughs> like, and truly, what? I can understand because a lot of black roles at the time, and I think for her career also were, you know, playing servants, playing maids, slaves, like all that shit. I understand that. Like, and, and yeah. I certainly think there are people out there who are like, you know, don't fucking take those roles. Those roles suck. Like, and we don't want to project that. But then the opposite end of it is like, well, I need to work somehow, you know? So it's a very uh, tenuous situation, but she is adamant that this is what she wants to do. And she's having a great time doing it with these other really creative uh, icons on the rise. And so she continues doing it. She, um, she tells a story how she finally invited her mom to come see her do a show. Um, at the Harlem Y or something. Um, yeah. And mom shows up and is very just like nooch um, the entire time. But then once the curtain opens and sees her, she, something clicks, something changes. And um, I don't want to say changes, but she kind of understands it a little bit more. Right. She she comes around as as much as somebody that's that sort of reserved can. Right. If that makes sense. Yes. Um, I guess, like, the next thing... She's doing a lot of theater. Things come, things go. The next thing that is really notable is her hair moment on TV. Yes. She gets cast um, in an episode of... Uh, was Is it East Side, West Side? Yes. Um, and she... She she talks about this a lot, how she has to inhabit the character. She has to know them. She has to, like, live inside of them. And it's, I think that's part of, like, her method. She loves, like, the training. She loves, like, learning about everything about this person. And, and one of the other things I like about her, too, she's a little, she's a little bit of a spoiler. She's like, she's like I'm going to come in, and I'm going to do my thing, yeah. and you're just going to have to deal with it. And uh, the hair thing is a good, great example because, as you mentioned, she gets cast in East Side, West Side, and she goes to her... Uh, she goes to a salon and she has them shave her hair down to a very small fro. Yeah. Just just very close to her skull. Very but... tight, natural hair. Um, and she shows up on set and they're like... She's wearing a scarf. Yeah. And then when the director said, places, I took the scarf off. You could hear a hair hit the floor. So finally he walked up to me and he said, Cicely, you cut your hair. And I sheepishly held my head and I shook my head, yes. So he said, you know, I wanted to ask you to do that, but I didn't have the nerve. 
at that time, you know, natural hair on black women was just not seen on TV. Absolutely not. You either, uh, because once again, Hollywood is a racist industry, you either wore wigs Mm -hmm. or you spent hours conditioning your hair and straightening it. Yeah. Painful. 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 Very painful. Chemicals in your hair, in your scalp. And she, you know, inspires a movement of natural hair amongst black women across the country. Um, I think, doesn't she say that the CBS is getting letters from um, salons who are saying they're losing money from all the customers yes. who don't want their hair relaxed anymore? And it's funny because she didn't, she never intended that to be the no. case. She she was just wanting to be this character and c- couldn't find any other way for this person to physically express this this thing that was so important to her right and i i don't know i think that's i think that's really bold and fascinating and shows not only a dedication to her work but a dedication to her humanity but every time i changed the hairdo it had not to do with me it had to do with authenticating the character that i was playing oh absolutely and i think like her humanity is what has made her the icon she is today, and we'll get into it as we kind of mature into her career. But that, like that principle, like is just in everything she does, is being this like human and serving others. Um, before like her like star completely explodes in the last part of the sixties, she's on the Guiding Light a little bit, her- which her mother loved. Her mother was very into the stories. Mm-hmm. Also, I-, I think worth mentioning is nineteen sixty six. She does um, a man called Adam. Which is a fun little movie. Yeah, I like I liked it a lot, and I I was also shocked because you for you forget that sometimes movies uh, don't wait for history to have a resolution, mm-hmm. and so her character in this film she plays opposite Sammy Davis Jr., who is a, a, dr- a drug addicted uh, trumpet player, and this movie also has Frank Sinatra Jr. in it, and it has Louis Armstrong, so it's filled with you know classic stable of people but she plays a freedom rider in that movie yeah and i hadn't i was like oh yeah like history is happening at this time truly the the movie is basically like you know this freedom rider who's in new york and then new york is swinging and like popping off not really like engaged i would say in the civil rights movement people there are just not people there but the people she's find herself around are just like oh protesting who cares let's have fun yeah. um which also so this is also maybe a good time to bring in she had met um miles davis in the 60s with you know uh just around new york and she had like kind of a little dalliance here a little this a little that um that would have turned into like god a, a decades long on and off Katy Perry hot and cold situation yeah. that um, will you know yeah and Lou, Lou and I had a had a conversation about that and we'll and he'll come back up but it just seems like bad it seems bad yeah it's the one part of her story I'm just like oh yeah so yeah Miles, if you don't know Miles Davis was a iconic again musician uh jazz trumpeter yeah and he would i mean not unlike a man called adam you know like not unlike the character in that movie um who is he's just this uh, genius musician who according to sicily just didn't like himself all that much and found himself more often than not uh knee deep 
addiction um, and self-destructive behavior. Um, also had a taste for um, women that was just, you know, also In- self-destructive, yeah. insatiable. When he meets uh, Sicily in 67 he's in the process of getting divorced uh from his wife francis davis Mm -hmm. and he ends up using um sicily's picture image for his album sorcerer in 67 the divorce is finalized in 68 he tells the press i'm gonna marry sicily tyson and what does he do he fucking turns around and marries a singer named betty davis no relation yes that september and she like essentially cuts him off for a decade yeah so she's like i'm out betty davis is was also a famous musician in her own right yeah and they had a very rocky relationship they were married for a year um they like it was 68 divorced in 69 um but while that's happening oh my god gavin i cannot even believe we have not brought (laughs) up cicely tyson's sixth sense ah yes so as we mentioned, grew up very religious, but also on top of that, she talks a lot about how she has just this special extra sensory something. Um, she labels it ESP, kind of. She's very into signs, very, her dreams are very, you know, telling. Prophetic. Yes, prophetic even. Um, she tells a story about how she sees the ghost of her aunt. I didn't like it. I was beginning to think that something was radically wrong. And it was my cousin. He was a psychologist. He said, let's go for a walk. He took me to a bookstore. And he bought me all of these books. And he said to me, we all have it. Some more developed than others. And and this is like for her entire life. She... You know, has feelings about when Miles is in danger, has feelings about, you know, I saw uh, someone in a dream and, and something's wrong with them. I, I can't do this until I figure this out. Um, so and she and, and that feeling also kind of kind of applies to her acting, though, because she says, I would never take a role unless I had this feeling inside me. This this um, she would get uh, goosebumps. Oh, yeah. And, and she, that, that was meant that she had to take the role. But if her stomach f- was feeling bad. She knew she couldn't do the role at all. Um, I, I do want to mention too. She this is a, a this is a force or or a, a gift that she uh, turned her back on for for many years too. She said she was scared of it, and it was it really wasn't until uh, she got a call from Don Shirley, uh, who is you know the the her he was a cousin of her father, but he was also a jazz pianist and composer. They made the movie green book about him. Don't see green book. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just, just avoid green book. Don't see and, green book, but just know that she was, um, you know, has this connection to this other yes. iconic black man in like civil rights history. Yes. Ed, he had two honorary doctorates. People called him Dr. Shirley. He was very into psychology and he was the one who introduced her to maybe this is a sixth sense. Yeah. Maybe this is something you should be paying more attention to. Maybe it's not just intuition. Maybe it is a psychic ability and you should give it. Embrace should... it. Yes, absolutely. She said that she, as she learned and she put a name to it, because before she would like have panic attacks and like freak out, like, Oh my God, what am I seeing? Um, so Canon Cicely Tyson is a witch. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but a good Christian witch. A good okay? Christian witch. Um, also, speaking of connections, I did not know that her godson is Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, like, I did know that. That was one of the weird like pieces of trivia that's in the back of my brain somewhere. In all in the book, she just like has all these connections to like these incredible, <laughs> talented black people <laughs> who are just like all over. Um, but anyway. So moving into the 70s, the 70s is when she really pops off. She really is having a moment. She moves to L.A. and she ends up living with her agent. Um, yeah. And, and his wife. Yeah. And, and his wife was kind of like, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they have like a young child, don't they? Like, yeah. It's, it's not like, it's like the, the Hollywood star in the basement. I don't know. Yeah. But they all become good friends. And it's not like her his wife is like get this woman out of my house. They right. eventually, you know. Right. So in the early 70s, she gets a script for the movie Sounder. Um, Sounder was a children's book. Um, Sounder is a dog. It's the dog of this um, black family. Uh, I want to say like post-World War II, they're sharecroppers. Yes. Um, and she, they they ask her to read for the role of the teacher. Um, and she's like, um... I don't think so. I want to be the the lead woman, Rebecca. She's the wife yeah. of the main character. And they're like, mm, I don't know. And she's <laughs> like, okay, well, I'm going to just like let you prey on that because I know that this is my role. And so she kind of walks away from, you know, the audition process and just says, you know, I know that this is my role. And so to come to me and guess what the fuck, what she does her witchy magic. And they call her back and say, the role is yours. Um, apparently, they were trying to get someone else. This other person wanted more money. And they both looked at each other, and then they looked at me, and they said, you are too young, you're too pretty, you're too sexy to play Rebecca. And I said, but I am an actress, and I would like the opportunity to play Rebecca. She gets paid nothing <laughs> to do these roles, like yeah. pennies, um, and, and this she, is a lead role. Yeah, yeah, it's a lead role in, and and this would have been her first big time movie. Um, and so she gets it. They go down to Louisiana where they film it. Sounder is about a black family where the patriarch is thrown in jail because he um, s- steals some food for food his yeah. family because they, they 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 literally have nothing to eat. So he's trying to provide for his family. Um, and the movie is basically, you know, this uh, Rebecca asks her son to go find where um, the father is. And, and he's, they, in, he's in a work prison camp, too. He's not just put into to prison. Right. He is being forced to break rocks. Right. A work prison camp. And they don't know which one or where. And so it's kind of the story of this mother keeping the family together and also this young boy trying to find their father. And another thing. With Nathan in jail and all, how you gonna crop for me when the spring season comes? Huh? Damn it, I'm talking to you, woman. I got a farm to worry about and I need some answers. Cropping season is a long way off, Mr. Perkin. By that time, Nathan ought to be home. If he ain't, believe me, the children and me will do the cropping. We have to. Because we owe you all that money, Mr. Perkin. I do want to say, this is a movie that came up a lot, like, in my orbit. And I was always like, I don't want to watch a movie. Because when I was a kid, this was one of those 
books that was always optionally offered in like junior high and it was mm. about a fucking dog and i was right. like i don't want to read but i do like the fact that uh lonnie elder the third who wrote the script felt the same way <laughs> yeah. and was like i'm not gonna write you a movie about a dog i want to write about this family who is having trouble in their daily survival and that's right. really what the film is about right and so she you know does this movie and surprise you know as as the um studio is getting ready to release it they're realizing that they have a fucking whopper of a performance in sicily here and they decide to make her the first build star and not um her co-star who is paul winfield paul winfield who she was dating at the time yeah um her and paul winfield i mean she says you know romances on screen are so easily spilled over into her life and that he was such a sweet man um very low drama didn't really turn into anything but yeah and she ends up even acting with him again later and we'll get to that but right and but he says congratulations you know you deserve this and she's kind of flabbergasted but she gets an academy award nomination a golden globe a bafta nomination it's it's seemingly all happening um she as she was leaving la a friend had told her like you're going to be at the Oscars one day. It's going to happen. And she's like, oh, no. And turns out he was right. Yeah. And she, she, I think, called him and escorted her to the Oscars um, when she uh, she was nominated that year. Um, she eventually lost to um, Liza Minnelli from Cabaret. Yeah. Both her and Paul Winfield are nominated in their separate acting categories. Yes. It's the first time in the Oscars history that two black, both black leads in a film were nominated for their, for the highest acting honor. Her and Diana Ross are both nominated for best actress. So it's, I mean, it's a pretty good year. And in the novel, she's like, well, Liza Minnelli was the daughter of Vincent Minnelli. Yeah. And she's the daughter of Judy. And they never had one. And they never, and I was like, okay, but also Liza's pretty good. And like, I I like cabaret. Yeah. It's not like, it wasn't some shitty little role. Yeah, it's it's not like a questionable like like how did she win that? Right, yeah. right. She gets all these accolades. You know, the movie didn't make a, a big splash, but when they realized that the reviews were so great, they pumped a bunch of money in there. The movie ended up making you know some money, and she is kind of on this big upswing. Uh, in 1974, she received this next big role like the next big thing in her life which was the autobiography of miss jane Pittman, um, yeah which is just like a stunner of a movie yeah um, it's funny she so she read the book and she really wanted this and they thought it was going to be big screen picture but it ends up at cbs and cbs really pushed for for it but she was convinced you know that the novel is by ernest j gaines and she was convinced jane Pittman was, was a, a real, real person. person yeah and she's not a lot but, of people think she's real. She but she is a stand-in for a lot of the trauma that we've placed on black people right. since the creation of the United States of America. This is a CBS uh, movie. It airs with only one commercial break, which happens right at the beginning of the film. Right. Uh, and yeah, and you can watch this movie on HBO Max. It, it feels... I, I will say there there's a quality of TV films from the 70s. And you also have to understand that the, this was the first TV movie. And we'll get to Roots because she's in Roots. But this was the first TV movie to really address slavery. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it was like a, such a big swing. And she says that it was it was like a certain young producer at CBS who really championed the movie um, because a lot of people were just like, we're not going to fucking touch that. Are you kidding right. me? Um, this is also the time, and I think this is very important to talk about. She talks about how black exploitation films were at their peak and yeah. she just did not care for them at all. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I think she has a lot of really interesting and good things to say, but I do uh, I I disagree with her as as much as I can as a white person, but like I do disagree <laughs> with the fact that like I don't know, I think if you asked Melvin Van Peebles who did Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, you know, the film that he was creating wasn't just trash in an no. attempt to reinforce black stereotypes and whatnot. And I do think there's uh, black exploitation was seized upon by white producers and a lot of it was turned into that but I do think there are some gems in there and I would argue that actually some of the movies she then makes in the 70s are also just a tiny bit black exploitation but she I I get what she's saying because she you know what she's specifically talking about is a lot of them do reinforce negative stereotypes a lot of them are about violence they're about people living on the streets they're about drugs they're about you know the stereotype of the unwed mother and and I I definitely get that, but I, I I when I was reading the book, I was like, she's being real harsh on all, she she's is. Just kind of lumping all black exploitation together, and I, I I don't think I don't think that's completely fair. Right. But. I mean, and I imagine that you know what she's talking about is she's like I am an educated woman, I do not connect with that experience, and yeah. I'm not going to portray that experience. And she was talks about how Sounder and Jane Pittman, like these are movies that would not were not in vogue for a black theater goers. After the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., the want and the feeling of these like nice, happy movies about black people, it was kind of like, what the yeah. fuck are you doing? Like, like no. And yeah. she but she was very um, just she held that very near and dear to her. She did not want to make movies that were going to portray black people in you know, a negative light. But I also think like this is a very classic, you know, uh, Christian, especially, you know, religious woman who's like, I'm not later. She does a movie with Richard Pryor and she's like, even doing that, she was like, you want me to do a movie with who? Like, yeah. what? That man swears too much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love that that was the... You Literally. Know. Um, but anyway. Before we move out of Autobiography, Miss Jane Pittman, I do want to mention, by the way, too, uh, it is an incredible acting feat. She portrays Jane Pittman from the age of 23 until the age of 110. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is um, very realistic special makeup effects that were designed by Stan Winston and, and and carried out on her by both Stan Winston and Rick Baker, who are two of the most famous makeup artists uh, in terms of special effects makeup in the history of film. But Rick Baker, unfortunately, couldn't be credited due to rules about... The uh, union. Yeah, union rules. But it, I, I mean, I, there's very few times in, in film history that Rick Baker and Stan Winston work together. And so I, I think that's it's cool to mention that. But I, I was I was shocked when I watched this movie. I was like, this makeup is so good. The makeup so, is like stunning authentic. And she is just like she was oh, also forgot to tell you guys, she they fully asked her at the beginning of her career, like, how old are you? 
And she's like, well, I'm 30. <laughs> and they're like, no. <laughs> let's just tell everyone you're 20. And literally for, I want to say, 80% of her career, she, and not that people, I guess, asked, but like, she was, people thought she was 10 years younger than she actually was for 80% of her career. It wasn't until way later. Yeah. Essentially what she did trip to Bountiful when everybody was like, wow, this woman in her 70s. And she's like, um, correction, 80. Actually, Thank I'm you. 80. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she's getting showered with, you know, uh, awards, adoration. Yeah. Autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Um, she ends up winning a primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress and a special Emmy Award for Actress of the Year, which like they never do. Literally uh, never. She also was nominated for a BAFTA Award uh for the movie, which once again is like an, a thing because BAFTAs are British Oscars. So yeah. it's it's very wild. And you know, so for the rest the 70s are really the peak, I would say, for her career. She, yeah. you know, does uh Pittman a couple years later is when she does Roots. Yeah, she's in the first part of Roots. She plays Kunta Quinte's mother. Binta. Binta. Um, I watched that first part. I was like, I'm not watching. It's a lot. It's a it's, lot. Yeah. It's a, a long, long thing. But I mean, but also, again, I can't stress this enough. There's a reason why for black Americans, uh, she is the icon legend that she is because yeah. she's in these like seminal groundbreaking touchstones of black movie making. No matter where I go in the world, they will say to me, Roots, <laughs> I know what I did. They will always say, Roots, I had been to Dahomey, Africa. I had an opportunity to get a feel of the country itself made lots of notes, uh, taped the, the dialogue, just wanting to get to know uh, who my forefathers were. The next thing she does in 1978 is she appears in the miniseries King. Mm-hmm. It's a three-night event. She plays Coretta Scott King. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to watch her version of Coretta Scott King and compare it to Angela Bassett's version of Coretta Scott King mm-hmm. in Betty and Coretta. Uh, because I don't know, they were just so different. They were very I, different. I, I, I kind of loved seeing that in a way. And for that, she's nominated for an Emmy Award for Lead Actress. So yeah, she's certainly getting her notices. Right. And and again, like this is all she she talks about when she was doing the rounds for Sounder, she was doing a lot of press and oh my God. people were like, so I just didn't really find it believable, like the relationship between uh, you know, the two leads, like the, this happy married black couple. I, don't, I just don't get it. And yeah, it's literally a reporter said to her like, oh, I, I don't believe that black people can love each other that way. Right. That fucking destroyed me because I don't. It's so hard for me to understand and know from the way that I was raised that anybody could treat another human being like they weren't human. Right. The level and it, it's frustrating yeah, the, and, and scary and sad. Yeah. The level of ignorance and like gall and just like toxicity for someone to say that is fucking wild. And and that has such a profound effect on Sicily and her career. She actually says in her book, and this is a direct quote from Cicely. 
The lie of black inferiority was built right into America's infrastructure. And to this day, that framework remains stubbornly intact. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I don't know. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's so frustrating to, to, to think about like, this was 50 years ago. Yeah. This wasn't 200 years ago. This was correct within, you know, a little before our lifetime, essentially. Uh, I do also want to point out there's a, there's another great um, passage in her book that I marked off, and I, I really tried to push it in the Spike Lee episode, but it was nice to hear somebody else say it and, and feel the same way, which is, um, and this is, once again, a direct quote, what some white folks never seem to understand is that we're not a monolithic group. While there are certainly rich cultural traditions that bind us together, there is no singular, quote, African-American experience, just as there is no one way to be black. There are as many viewpoints as there are glorious black faces. And I don't know. I think that's such an important because it is sort of, you know, I'm, like I said, I mentioned in the Spike Lee episode. Anytime anybody interviews him, they expect him to answer yeah. <laughs> for the entirety of every black person in the United States, for every black person in the world. And, you know, to to have to be Cicely Tyson, to be sitting in front of this cavalcade of reporters and to have them say things like that or the other reporter that said to her, he didn't realize when this little boy in Sounder called his father daddy, he was like, that's what my son calls me. Yeah. And he just couldn't, his brain was so broken by how we teach people in the United States mm-hmm. that he couldn't imagine. Right. The, the, and black the, people having the same feelings white people have. Right. I don't, I, yeah. To call a father daddy, you know, like, the, and, and that is like, gets to the root of like, I mean, God, black men are, treated like shit also like especially young black men um and and this was like like a nine-year-old ten-year-old in this movie showing empathy and love like to his parent like wow shocking and that truly is like we don't see that often still today yeah Uh, and so and again and that's the backdrop for her not wanting to be in these black exploitation films she gets offered tons of them and she says no 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 i'm not going to do that because if she's already getting questions from, you know, the LA Times and and everyone about, you know, do black people love each other? Like, what the fuck? Like, you know? Yeah. Um, and and on, on top of that, she was reared on the theater. She was best friends with fucking Maya Angelou and uh, all these titans of, like, of the, the era. It's like she said, I know what I have to do in my career. I know what I'm being called to do. And it was a very specific thing. And yeah. Literally, it's like when you look at her filmography, it's like, you know, Harriet Tub- Tubman, uh, Coretta Scott King, you know, all these women who were forces for good for right. black people. And and even to a smaller extent, and, and we're, you know, we're going to be moving on now further into her career. But, you know, even even the smaller things, like you mentioned, Bustin' Loose with Richard, Richard Pryor. Pryor where she plays a teacher or she does the Marva Collins story on TV, which is uh, also about a teacher. She does the River Niger, which is about a a put-upon mother. She does all these sort of what you would consider, I guess, quote-unquote, message films. But what she's doing is she's sort of putting her work where her convictions are. I don't look for anything or ask for anything other than to be treated like a human being. That's all. 
Yeah. The River Niger was such an interesting, stylish, like... I fucking loved it. <laughs> I, I'm also seeing just um, James Earl Jones, like, just like at the prime of his life, you know, just yeah. really like being funny. This is the 70s. You know, this is yeah. her her life in the 70s. Also, like, going into the 80s, um, Miles Davis reappears. Yes. Um, they had always kind of like kept tabs on each other, knew what was going on. Um, he is constantly just showing up to her hotels and apartments, wasted, asking her to be, come back to him. It's very tumultuous, very um, not good. He has this daughter who is basically friends with... Um, Sicily at this point and and who is like do you know where my dad is and she's like no sorry um it's very hard but through all this um in 1981 he after he she even says he wore me down yeah and she basically cleans him up as much as she can as much as she thinks she's able to get him off of things right and they, they get married um she says that he was the shell of what who he used to be uh, uh, this, his body was failing him clearly. Yeah. Like a lot of um, their marriage, I think you know. And she says this, so I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. She wanted to fix him, like yeah. plain and simple. She wanted someone to take care of. She wanted to fix him, and it, you know, it, I think one of the interesting parts of the book is she makes these like nice big parallels between her father and her mother, and her and Miles. And their relationship and kind of the brokenness of it, but how they couldn't give each other up um, and how she and her mom were in these very difficult, tragic relationships, but were still such proud, you know, um, never going to be beaten down women. Um, they're So they're married from 81, um, I think, until 89. So... They're made for the 80s, essentially. During the 80s, she's not working too much. I think also at this point, she, she says, you know, I was getting paid nothing for the movies I was making in the 70s. So to pay for bills and to raise her child, um, she's going on speaking engagements. She's talking yeah. at college campuses, using her platform f- to spread the word about, you know, discrimination, racism, uh, you know, talking about... Uh, the Vietnam War, like she, she is literally on her own circuit of uh, spreading the, the message of civil rights, and also at the same time, by the way, is you know resuscitating literally Miles Davis. Yeah, um, the, the the chapter about this specific time in her life is hard to hear how the things that they had to do to clean him up, and he was also abusive. And he was still cheating on her. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's bad. It's very Um, bad. But, you know, back to her career. In 89, Oprah asks her to appear in the adaptation of The Women of Brewster Place. She's a very small role in this uh, miniseries. Um, She appears back on the big screen in 91's Fried Green Tomatoes, where she plays Sipsy, Secrets in the Sauce. Yes, we talked about Fried Green Tomatoes in our Kathy Bates Kathy Bates. Yeah, it's it was my five star review for Kathy Bates. We love, I, I, we yeah, love. I love fried green tomatoes. It's all right, honey. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. 
<laughs> you know, Miss Ruth was a lady. And a lady always knows when to leave. She's still doing TV. She does a she tries getting into the television series role in 94 to 95. She does Sweet Justice. <laughs> um but that doesn't last for more than a year. Um but in 97 she does Hoodlum, which I watched for the Queen Latifah episode. Um and really that's um basically rounds out her like big screen career in the 90s. Right. And it's really not until 2005 because of Winn-Dixie where she really comes back to the big screen. Right. I mean, it's, it's for me, like the later, the winter of her life is how she would say, it. Um, yeah. you know, she, she's not getting a lot of roles. They're not, they're not coming. Um, but in the aughts, the mid aughts, I would say she meets Tyler Perry. Yeah. Um, and Tyler Perry is a huge part of her you know the, the last season of her life and her career um for better or for worse i think <laughs> we have talked about tyler perry before on this podcast yeah. i have we said, both have strong feelings we have, yeah we have strong feelings i have said before that i think his movies have a time and a place i think that they are one not made for people like me and gavin two does not inoculate them from criticism and yes. three you know i i think she found like this I don't want to say kindred spirit, but a good friend in Tyler. Yeah, she saw absolutely. That she saw a man who grew up in poverty and had built a place for black actors to come right. together and work. And, and and I do want to say, it's not like neither of us believes Tyler Perry's a generous person. He's proved time and time again, he is a generous person. He gives back and he has created a film industry for black people and employed so many black people. So like, that's not the issue. Just getting that up. Right. And so, and and they are also both religious people. So they both connect on this, you know, spiritual level. Um, And, and she talks very fondly and kindly about him. And I, and I believe they did have a very special relationship. I will say diver mad black woman is a crazy movie, but she is very good You're at being it. nice. <laughs> I posted a little story to our Instagram when I was watching it. It's, but oh my God, Kim- Kimberly Elise, when we talked about um, Beloved, I think she's excellent. I think she's so fucking good. Oh, she's good. very good. She's I, one just, of, I just feel bad that she's saying a lot of that dialogue. I know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it only kind of works because it's Kimberly Elise and she's one of the most underutilized actresses I think we have. Um, yeah. uh, Cicely Tyson plays her mother in this movie. Um, and she does get not she gets notices for it. She gets nominated for the BET Comedy Awards for Outstanding Supporting Actress, the NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Supporting Actress. So it's it's not like these roles are going unnoticed. Right. And, and I, I want to mention that I, I think she's very funny. You know, yes. it, in Bust and Loose, she plays a straight character, but she is funny. And then in this movie, um one of the like Joe, I don't know, he's like, come over here. I wanna he's basically hitting on her. And, oh, he says, hey, I've got Viagra. And she goes, oh, I have Mace. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. No, she's she's very good. And, the, like, it's one of those things where you realize, like, 
oh, she's older, but she certainly hasn't missed a step. No, absolutely all. not. In total, she does six movies with Tyler Perry from 2005 to till her death. The next big thing she does, I would say, is The Help. Um, yeah. And that was in like, what, 2011? She plays Constantine, which is she's basically the maid that raised Emma Stone's character. Yeah, she sort of sparks the issue for Emma Stone right. um, in order to center herself into a bunch of uh, black people's stories. <laughs> that helps so- bad guys. <laughs> What's interesting to me is that she, one, she's very good in this. She, yeah, she really is. I, I think she has a way of transforming her entire being. When you see interviews of her and you see her on red carpets, she is just this majestic bird. When she's in these movies, from Pittman to The Help, she changes her voice. She changes her body. It's it's unreal, the thing that she's able to do and find. And she says that, like, it just comes to her. She, like, does all this research and work, and she just kind of, you know, will find the body of this person. Did she say in Sounder she thought that Rebecca was left-handed? Yeah. So she... <laughs> And on top of that, the 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 young actor playing her son was actually left-handed. So she was and like, "Oh, secret." She's like, e- "See, I'm psychic. I'm psychic." ESP got it going on. It's happening. Um, so I mean, I, so I think she's very good in the help. She does say, you know, that was when she met Viola Davis. Yeah, and and both her and Viola have talked about how as soon as they met each other, Viola just wrapped her in her arms and started crying um, because she had been a inspiration. For her entire life, seeing her in East Side, West Side with her natural hair. And then seeing her in the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman was really what did it. Yes. Yeah. And and so like this full circle moment of them um, being together in this movie, I think, uh, you know, Cicely has said, I've always been wary of playing servants and the help. But she thought that Constantine had a lot more story behind her, um, but agrees with... Viola's later assessment that the movie is not focused enough on the black women and their stories. It it falls short of what it's attempting to do. Yeah. What you doing hiding out here, girl? I just couldn't tell my mom didn't get asked to the dance. It's all right. Not blame we just got to keep to ourselves, right? I'm boy say I'm ugly. Mom was third runner up in the Miss South Carolina budget. I wish you quit feeling sorry for yourself. Now that's ugly. She also, from there, you know, Viola's like, hey, gal, why don't you come play my mom on How to Get Away with Murder? And she does for six seasons, and she gets nominated for a bunch of more fucking Emmys. For yeah, that. she basically gets nominated for, I want to say, five out of the six times that she would have been eligible. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so she's doing that. And and by the way, she's doing that in 2014. She died this year, which is 2020. So she was like 89, yeah. 88. Like this was a woman. And she said, she's like, what was I going to retire for? People retire, <laughs> then die. Um, I, I do want to point out uh, one of the roles that she always wanted uh, in her life was the the lead in the trip to Bountiful, which was uh, you know a Horton Foot play as actually written for television, but it became a play, and they made a movie out of it in the eighties. And uh, Geraldine Chaplin played the role, and so won an Oscar for it, didn't she? Yeah, and so it 
goes back to Broadway in 2013 and it's being produced by Horton Foote's daughter and she calls Cicely up and she's like, my father really wanted you to play this role. Once again, ooh, you psychic. Like, right. And, well, but also she had told um, her like agent. 20s, yeah. 20, like when that movie came out in the 80s, it's, it was, the movie was all white, you know? Um, she saw the movie. Oh, and another thing I love, she said she loves going to the theater by herself. Just a, just a middle of day movie. Yeah. Which she, escape. which she didn't for years. Cause she saw King Kong at a young age and it scared the shit out of her. And she didn't step foot in another movie theater until the premiere of Sounder, by the way. But then after that, she was cool. But, she was, but yeah. yeah. After that, she was like, oh, I'm, I'm here. It's fine. Um, but she told her agent, find me my trip to Bountiful. I want a role like that. Fast forward to 2013. She gets a phone call from this producer who's like, my dad wants you to wanted you to be in this all black revival of the show. And she's like, OK, my spell worked. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, uh, you know, it ends up being a huge hit. She does it. Uh, she does some crazy number of performances that I cannot think of off the top of my head. And I'm so sorry. Um, but you know, it's a great cast too. It's her and Cuba Gooding Jr., Condola Rashad, Vanessa Williams. Lifetime goes on to make it into a TV movie. Vanessa Williams mm-hmm. from the cast ends up staying. Blair Underwood takes over for Cuba Gooding Jr. Kiki Palmer takes over for Condola Rashad. And mm-hmm. what's great too is she is able to finally it it basically in this role all comes full circle because not only does she get to play this role that she was always wanted to play, but one of the things that's written into the play is this hymn that her Mm. mother loves and used to sing and she has to sing it on stage. And it just, it it all is just, it's, it's like, you know, the goal at the end of the road for her essentially. Yeah. There's a, um, on broadway.com or whatever, there's a clip of her in the show um, and it's so special and it's so good. Everything seemed to work out today. Why is it some days everything works out and some days nothing works out? Hmm? I guess the good Lord is with me today. <laughs> I wonder why the Lord isn't with us every day. It would be so nice if the Lord. No? Yeah. Maybe then. We wouldn't appreciate so much the days when he's on our side. Or maybe he's always on our side. We just don't even know, you know? Maybe I had to wait 20 years cooped up in that city before I could appreciate getting back here. Again, you can, like, see this transformation. She becomes the oldest Tony Award winner. Yeah. She wins the Tony for, for the trip to Bountiful. It's been 30 years since I stood on the stage. I really didn't think it would happen again in my lifetime. And I was pretty comfortable with that, except that I had this burning desire to do just one more. One more great role. I said, I didn't want to be greedy. I just wanted one more. <laughs> I don't think the TV movie's bad. No, not at I all. Just, but it's sort I of inert. <laughs> If you ask right. me, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a little bit sapped of like specialness. Um, when, you, especially when you look at that clip, it's like you can see the energy and see the spirit kind of radiating radiating off of her. Um, and I truly do think like she's the theater person at heart. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of clear. Um, 
she just like has that like sparkling live energy maybe it's i don't know her witchiness that psychic <laughs> energy coming off of her but that's really you know she does uh she's 88 when she does trip to bountiful uh, and she keeps working until you know last week yeah um I do want to point out a couple of other things that we didn't touch on right before we move into our picks uh she is not only the godmother of lenny kravitz she's also the godmother of katya washington which is denzel washington's daughter and tyler perry's son uh aman um she's a vegetarian she has been a vegetarian basically since the 70s like yeah she said she just eats her raw vegetables three times a day <laughs> absolutely and uh and i did want to mention there is um a school that yes. bears her name, the Cicely Tyson School of Performing and Fine Arts. Uh, it's a magnet school in East Orange, New Jersey. There, there's both a high school and a, a grade school, I believe. And it's funny because she talks about in the book them calling her up and being like, we want to name it after you. And her first reaction was, you know, Dion Warwick's from East Orange. Have you talked to her? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so... I, you know, it's very clear that even before she passed last week, you know, she she had such a heavy impact and not just on Hollywood and not just the people that would come after her, but on on history. Yeah, totally. And I was just looking up right now. Did she not also help found Dance Theater of Harlem? She did. She did. And, and she's a little salty that it's like erroneously never reported that she helped right, found it. Right, right. This is a woman who was dedicated to the arts, de- dedicated to black people, and just service. Yeah. I was listening to um, her masterclass episode on for, from Oprah, and she just says, at the end of the day, we are here in service of each other. And it just really touched my heart because, I don't know, she seems like such a, you know, she says people thought she was difficult to work with on set. She had this attitude, la, la, la. But at the end of the day, like the things that she really cared about, I think for her, she she has lots of great stories about, you know, clashing with Elizabeth Taylor and, yeah, you know, all these nonsense all movies. The, all and, the fun little gossipy things. but All these nonsense movies where she was like, Listen, if you aren't being professional, I'm not going to like fucking mess with this. Like I'm getting paid too little with <laughs> with no respect to like fucking put up with this shit. But for the people that matter to her and like for the things that truly matter. I mean, god, the, the amount of time that she spends in the book talking about these kids at that high school and the school that she that bears her name, it's just so heartwarming and so touching. Like this clearly was someone who loved and and just wanted to serve. She said, "I, I don't know." In the same way that, like, I think we've talked about um, different subjects who their life is giving up to the craft. I don't think that was part of Cicely's life. I think no. Cicely's life was all about service. It was all about because like, all of her craft came back to how. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put out the fucking three night. <laughs> MLK movie. Yeah. I'm going to do the the story about the like 110 year old black woman like Harriet Tubman. We didn't even talk about the Harriet Tubman movie she does. Like there are so many things all of her life and all of the work she did was in service to 
the greater good. And right. to me, that's just so inspiring. And so it, it's it's it was very good to kind of take in all of her work and be like, damn, this is a woman from as soon as her career started. It was so unselfish. Um, and we don't we don't get that a lot from, you know, of all the episodes we've done. I, I really can't think of someone who, you know, has dedicated their career in the way that she has right, to, to, uh, to transforming the world through, yeah. you know, just doing she, her she, thing. She, yeah, she spends chapter of our book talking about how she tried to get the, some kid into a college. I was yeah. like, oh, <laughs> no, no one would do that. And it's good that that the world, while maybe didn't change as much as she would have liked, you know, while she was alive, did give back to her. She has the Presidential Medal of Freedom. She's part of the Television Hall of Fame. She has a career achievement Peabody. Uh, you know, she has an honorary Oscar. She's the first black person to win the honorary Oscar, which I also think is uh, nuts because it was awarded to her in 2018, three yeah, years ago. Yeah, that's fucking psycho. Um, and or first black woman, I should say. And yeah, I I just yeah I I'm happy she was awarded, but I don't. She was never doing it for that. She was doing it for exactly the reasons you said. And yeah, and I think that's extraordinary. I couldn't have said it better myself. And so, why don't we move into our picks? Why don't we just get them out of the way? Just do it. No disrespect, but we got to <laughs> do some one star reviews. It's the format of our show. So, my one star review for Cicely Tyson, so sorry, Cicely, please forgive me, is 2012's Alex Cross. Uh, it's not a huge role, but it's better than some of the other movies that she was doing at the time. Because let me tell you, there's a bunch of them from that period. I could be like, and not necessarily because of her, but because they weren't just, you know, they were, there were movies that she was making money off of. But Alex Cross is a reboot of the Alex Cross movies. Alex Cross is a detective character from the James Patterson novels. He was previously seen being played by Morgan Freeman and Kiss the Girls and Along Came a Spider. And this was really supposed to revitalize this film franchise. And essentially, Alex Cross is a detective who's been offered a job profiling for the FBI. And it's, you know, sort of the last case he's going to do as a detective. And he's up against a serial killer terrorist who Uh murders his wife with a sniper rifle. And so he, like, goes out for revenge. And Cicely Tyson plays his mother in this film. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, real quick, before I, I fully get into the whole that aspect of it i do want to mention uh james patterson is white mm-hmm. and uh he has talked about the previous adaptations of his work which uh basically he is he called out hollywood on their racism because what they did is alex cross is a young character in the books and in the movies they cast morgan freeman and what they were doing he has said is they were essentially neutering any sexual attention that morgan freeman would have with his white female co-stars because in the novels he sleeps with a lot of his a lot of the the women that are right and it's the classic spy situation yeah yeah and so they were like basically getting rid of that and so they decide to reboot the series with a young sexy like Mm. yeah and they go with tyler perry and to me that still sort of smacks a little bit of did tyler did he have anything to do with this movie no that he was um 
basically just cast in it to my knowledge. Huh. I don't I don't think that he um no, I I don't see his name as a as a producer. Um I do see James Patterson's name as producer. So, but you know, it's based off the novel Cross by James Patterson, but I just part of me feels very much like, well, this is also just a tiny bit of Hollywood's racism by like, and and apparently like Idris Elba was attached first and it's like, yes. Okay. Hello? Yeah. That makes sense. And, and so like, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to speak too much. I've made my feelings very clear on Tyler Perry and this is not his production. So he doesn't have a ton of control of it, but he is the person who recommends that Cicely Tyson come in and play his mom. Uh, his mom uh, Regina Cross, also known as Nana Mama, which feels very much like something a white person would write for a mm-hmm. black person to call their parents. Mm-hmm. And she's basically there to be like, I'm a tough old lady and don't you do anything that would be bad. And so when he goes to get his revenge on Matthew Fox, a famous woman abuser, Matthew Fox, who plays <laughs> the bad guy in this movie, uh, he she like has to stop him and sort of be like, don't do anything that like you'll regret and everything. And, you know, she talks about it in the book and she says like, Oh, you know, I'm this, this frail older woman and I'm able to stop all six, whatever height he is from. It doesn't come across on screen. It doesn't, it just feels like it's very clear that he's somebody who has so much reverence for her. But the connection just isn't there. And it just it just feels like she's picking up a paycheck. And like I don't yeah. blame her at that point yeah. in her life. Please, please pay that woman. But it yeah. just it wasn't fun to watch. And I didn't buy their relationship. And I frankly hated the film. And I feel bad because she's part of that. So yeah, yeah, my one star review has to go to 2012's Alex Cross. You've lost your wife, but you're still here. Your soul is alive in your body. You can't lose that, too. I'm not losing anything else. I'm going to deliver some justice. Liar! 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 Don't you try placating me. You're going to go out there and get yourself killed. That ain't going to happen. I am going to, like, continue on the Tyler Perry train. (laughs) And I'm so sorry, because I didn't even realize this, but... um, my one-star review is 2020 is a fall from grace. A movie um, famously shot in five days for Netflix. Just putting that correct. out there. This is her last movie she ever did. Um, and I mean, if I could, like, I mean, all together collectively, like, I don't think Tyler Perry's movies are great vehicles from her for her. Yeah. And even though, like, if I don't understand why Tyler Perry wouldn't go out of his way to, like, make a movie for her as opposed to just like throwing her in these little tit tat spots that like, why would you waste her talent for that? Yeah. doesn't seem. And that's exactly even once again, even though he had very little to do with the actual production of Alex Cross, that's exactly what it felt like. It was like, why do this to her? (laughs) And that's what it felt like something being done to her. It didn't feel like something she was actively participating in. Right. She plays Alice in a fall from grace. Um, and she's kind of like a mysterious old senile woman or seemingly senile woman um, in the house of Felicia Rashad. Um, the movie really is about this lawyer who is like, I don't know, not 
good at her job or thinks she's not good at her job. This movie is just so dumb. Like, imagine going all the way through law school, getting a job, and then being like, I can't do this. I'm bad at my job. I'm going to quit. It's like, what? You clearly (laughs) made it through law school. Like, if you don't like it, fine, but... I'm sure you're fine at your job. Uh, Tyler Perry's also in this movie. All he does is sit in the office and yell. Um, it, it's it's a mystery drama thriller thing where this the guy from Supergirl is basically a con artist. And um, the movie is just so cheap. I could not believe. Yeah, like, w- w- the first week it came out, by the way, and I, I've heard that they've corrected some of this, but the first week it came out, people were noticing, like, editing errors. They were noticing, like, boom mics in the frame. They were noticing yeah. cameramen and the reflections on it. Yeah. yeah. Even, like, I didn't notice boom mics and stuff, but I definitely noticed, like, extras who were just standing around, like, I don't know, like, being so fucking awkward and weird. Um, it just looks so, so cheap. Um and it's kind of like, like take the movie Ma, a fun romp um, that is like out of this world, batshit crazy, but like a really good time. Imagine that movie, but it's not a good time at all. <laughs> That's a fall from grace. It's like a twist and then a twist, but like it does doesn't make any fucking sense. It's in poor taste. It's... And, and a, a lot of and like once again i'm not turning this into like a shitting on tyler perry but like that's i always feel like because you bringing up the whole idea of her being like a lawyer going through all through a law school and just being like that's what when i watched a diary a diary of a mad black woman it was frustrating to me that like her so she lose like she loses her relationship with her husband and kicks her out and she's like oh i've got to make money on my own and the movie She gets a job as a waitress, a job that my mother had proudly for years to pay for nursing school and treats it like she's like begging on the street, let alone that she's not waitressing in like a diner. She's waitressing in like a place with a uniform that's high class. And the movie like literally is just like, wow, why doesn't she just like eat out of the trash? And that's like (laughs) he's he's so disrespectful sometimes when it comes to things like that. And so like that's what's really that's what frustrates me about the judgment. The judgment is what always frustrates me about his work. It's it, it is such a severe lack of judgment about like how I don't know humans work. Yeah, like it, in Diary of Mad Black Woman, the husband literally tosses his wife out onto the front lawn and is like, "Go away!" And this is how that works. <laughs> like what? Um, it, it's uh, anyway. A Fall from Grace has a lot of that jam packed into this like wannabe episode of how to get away with murder essentially um and i feel very bad because i think that there are a lot of talented people in this movie like talented actors who are doing their darndest um but due to lack of resources and uh tyler perry's poor judgment it just is such a a weak weak uh outing for this icon like i i hate that this was her last movie Okay, well, let's, let's, let's go back to Miss Sarah's house. It's all right. She probably doesn't even know you're out here. Let's go. Let's get you no. out this rain. No, don't. Don't make me go back there. Please do It's okay. It's okay. I got oh. you. You're, you're with me oh, now. I'm going to my house. 
my house. Was there anything else that you saw you didn't particularly like? I do have one that I'm just going to jump right into, but I, I couldn't in good conscience give it my one-star review because... It's literally a one scene role, but she has a has a very small role in uh, this film called The Haunting in Connecticut, Two Ghosts of Georgia. Um, <sighs> she plays a character named Mama Kay who shows up for one scene and she's wearing like big buck teeth and she has milky white eyes and she's blind. And and it's you know, we talked about it in our Joan Crawford episode, the the, the subgenre that is psycho bitty or hagsploitation. And it really felt like that. It's like when you take a really like a lauded actress and you dress her up real funny and you put her in a horror movie. And yeah. and that's and like I said, it's only one scene, so I couldn't really. But I was just like, I guess I guess you got to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. I did not watch The Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghost of Georgia. Sounds <laughs> but you, like do, I... you do like saying the name. <laughs> I, I do like saying the name, yeah. I don't think there's a lot that, you know, is, you know, wrong in her filmography. There, there is not, uh, beyond the scope of Tyler Perry and, I don't know, ghost stories, I guess, there's not a lot where I'm like, oh, I didn't enjoy that movie. Not yeah. at all. No, I... I... I definitely agree with that because I, you know, I enjoyed a lot of the films I saw and and had a really good time. Why don't we move out of our one-star reviews and move into our five-star reviews? There is a dearth to choose from to get to a five-star review. Uh, But mine, it has to, has to be the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. It is a stunner of a movie that... I couldn't wrap my head around. I <laughs> seeing if you look at a picture of Cicely Tyson at the time she was forty nine years old, right in the middle of you know this character who she's playing from twenty three to one hundred and ten, and you know she looks very young. She was a very beautiful woman, high cheekbones, perfect skin, so not a stretch to play a twenty three year old. Um, and she even said that. So whatever, but. When you, the majority of the film, or I would say at least 50% of the film, she's in this special effects makeup, and she is, not only that, she's hunched over, barely able to walk. You can see just, like, the years in her eyes. You can see in the way she's using her mouth to talk and speak. It's incredible. I've never, I don't know if I've seen a more physical or a committed role or, or, you know, actor committed like this to a role ever. And and I also want to just say real quick, it's her actual voice. They were going to dub her uh, because, and, and it's very true. And you'll see it in a lot of movies, people playing old people. um, You don't sound the same. You absolutely do not. Right. But the voice Cicely was able to like, pull out of herself and and make is so realistic and so Mm -hmm. she doesn't a lot of it is her i mean so there is the incredible makeup and there's nothing i can say about her performance that takes away from the craftsmanship of the makeup done on her but they were gonna give her a hump she didn't need it they were gonna give like she got she was the one talking to producers about I know exactly what my teeth should look like. I know what I need to do to get my eyes. It's... Uh, to get to about this movie, the movie is a structured as a... There is a reporter, 
And he wants to tell the story of this 110-year-old woman. And so it's a lot of reflections of her looking back at her time as, um, you know, all the way back as a slave, getting their freedom, and just her entire life through the civil rights movement. And up to the end, um, you know, going and using a um, water fountain that's only for whites. Um, And so there's like a nice frame on it of this... Uh, reporter who's a, a white man who's just like asking her these questions and, and and it's it's so lovely the moments where he's in his brain he's asking what he thinks is an innocent question and she's like god you really don't fucking get it do you yeah. like you you really know so little about my experience our experience um and it's so moving uh you know the it's funny to think and i hadn't thought about this till we were just talking about it right now but the the to compare it to something like the help, which really centers a white person in the narrative mm-hmm. of all these black stories where this mm-hmm. doesn't, this uses the white person sort of the way they should be used in a story like this, which is like as an entryway for your white audience. It's even using the white reporter thing that the help does. Yeah. You know? Emma Stone's character is a reporter, but like this is literally a man who is trying to tell his editor, like, no, I, there's an amazing woman here. I need to tell her story. Yeah. And using that as the entryway where literally we're going to sit with her and, and talk about her experience. And the, she's going to tell the story and right. she's going to be the one right. who, you know, imparts and, I'll, and it, it like it's going to begin and end with her. Right. And he, I'm just the observer. Yeah. Right. The scene where she's um, sitting at the big oak tree where he's like asking his questions and she's talking about, you know, this tree's 400 years old and has seen it all. And, and it's just like this beautiful moment and obvious like parallel where she's just talking about, we come from this land, we see it grow and change all around us. And we're just witness. We're just a witness to, you know, um, life. And it, it's, it truly is a stunning movie and a stunning uh, uh, acting masterclass i don't even know what words to say um and i don't know what would have happened if it would have been like on the big screen um because it's on the cover it says one of tv's all-time best it truly fucking is yeah and like gavin said it's on hbo max so um if this is your entry point go with god because it's 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 very good it's so it's so worth watching it really is you know this oak tree, I'm sure, it's been here as long as this place been here. And I ain't ashamed to tell you that I talked to it. And I ain't crazy either. It ain't, it ain't necessary craziness to talk to the river and the tree. It ain't crazy in the sun. It's just the nobility he respects. I came into this uh, uh, torn because I also really, I really think like there is no better achievement of displaying her talent than the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. I think really it's, it runs the gamut of just and and it's not just about the old and young thing it's the passion she puts into it the emotion you know she this is a woman who sees parts of her family die she sees her husband die and one of the smartest things i think the movie does 
is her, you know her son leaves for a while um, to get an education and he comes back and he's trying to educate people and she she knows he's he's gonna die she knows white men are gonna kill him for basically being educated and trying to impart that education on other black people and the you know she she gets really emotional and she tries to warn him and when she realizes that there's no turning back she lets him sermonize she lets him depart his message and he walks over to her and he's like and now i'm going to die yeah. And the thing that she does is, you know, she's not hysterical. She's not, you know, uh, more bun. She's, she's just, she's just sitting with it. Cause she knows that that's well, because the, also the eventuality. She's, she's already at that age has lived with so many horrors. Yeah. You know, she's seen 80% of her people die in front of her Yeah, as they were leaving slavery, you know, like, and I think that's also a story that, isn't told that often where it's like a lot of these slaves, when they said you're free now, where did they go? Right. They didn't have anything. And, 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 on top and of that, reconstruction failed. And yeah, so, yeah. On top of that, people were also fucking monsters yeah. and like killing free slaves who were trying to find a new home. Um, so yeah, but so Gavin, you agree that. So Ms. yeah, I, th- I, th- I really do think it's, uh, you know, my, my other one, but I, I think, I mean, I yeah, it's got to be autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. But if if I had to, so I guess we're in the part where I say, is there anything else that you saw that you like? But I do, I do think it's absolute five star review. The River Niger, uh, The River Niger is based on a play uh, by Joseph A. Walker. It is you know an Obie Award winner, a Tony Award winner. It's it's a great play, and unfortunately, this film version is like not restored anywhere you can watch it on youtube you can watch it on amazon prime but it is literally a vhs rip it's yeah. such poor quality and because of that i think a lot of people like I, I kept running into reviews of people being like oh it looks like a tv show oh it looks so bad and fake and it's like yeah part of that is like one part of it is nobody's paying to have it restored and right. the other part of it is nobody was fucking paying for films with an all-black cast and that's what i mean by the fact that like she she may have like inadvertently starred in a couple black exploitation films because i think a hero ain't nothing but a sandwich and the river niger are basically have the same look and budget of what would be considered black exploitation films uh but they're serious dramas about mm-hmm. topical issues. I mentioned earlier, you know, she plays this mother to this son who he's in the Air Force and he flunks out of uh, the Air Force school and he gets really disillusioned and he, he sort of um, falls in with a local gang that feels very kind of standing for the Black Panthers, but much more militant. Uh, and, it, you know, it's sort of a downward trajectory from there and how his new life is intersecting with her life midway through the movie you find out uh, you know she is uh dying of a reoccurring cancer matthias cancer kindly you're about as generous sledgehammer that's serious very serious but not hopeless the location prevents removal however cobalt treatments might yes Look at me. I'm not upset, am I? Look at me. <laughs> Come on, Jeff. I'm just gonna die, that's all. James Earl Jones plays her husband and this kid's father. 
uh, who's played, by the way, her son's played by the great uh, Glenn Turman, who I just absolutely fucking love and is so amazing. And I feel like most people have most recently seen as Toledo and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it's just this family drama and it sort of devolves into you know, drama and violence, but it, but it's a really masterful performance. And I think she is so controlled as this mother character and so quiet and she's reserved and keeps it inside. Uh, and it's just fascinating to watch, especially when you compare it to something like the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, where she's, you know, having to play such a large span of this life and, and all these sort of different emotions in the river Niger, she's really, you're really seeing like, like maybe a week to a month of this woman's life, but also you get to know her so well and so deep and connect to her. Um, but yeah, I really love that movie and sorry, I, I know I just rambled about that, but I, but I, once again, it's another movie that you can watch, you can see, but please keep in mind that like, it looks the way it does because, people are fucking ridiculous and won't pay to restore it. <laughs> That's... Yeah, I mean, and that movie is so rich. You can tell that there's, like, there's this great, rich screenplay. Like You can tell that it was a, a play. Uh, it's This is the 70s, and, and thinking about you know the African connections and obviously the name of it but there's also like this african doctor and there's like this this entire idea of like what is black identity who is the black american yeah it, the, the movie is very rich um yeah I, I i i too watched on amazon prime and it was very very good uh as you mentioned before though there is a plethora of films you i mean sounder she absolutely deserved that academy award nomination and i i really recommend that you mentioned a man called adam earlier which i think barring the ending which i found a little like i i especially her performance is really great one of the films we didn't mention earlier is the heart is a lonely hunter which i don't think is a full successful adaptation of the novel that it's based on but she plays a character named Portia and she's very good in that film fried green tomatoes once again not a huge role but a very very memorable role and also uh, just last thing a woman called Moses which is on Amazon Prime as well um another stunning (laughs) portrayal of a of a I I would say I like woman called Moses better than King I think she has more to do yes I, I, I liked King. Both of us watched all of King, which, by the way, is five very hours. Long. Very long. Um, so we, we both sp- spent the time. My problem with King is it's very academic. And, mm-hmm. and, and like, that's fine. It's probably a better teaching tool than it is, you know, dramatic work. But yeah, totally. Um, but it, that also kind of like talks to like how she has so much, even for her, the limited opportunities that she was given because of the industry. Like so much, so much of her work is very, very good. I would even say if you've got the lifetime, you know, logins and all that mess, like Trip to Bountiful is a wonderful yeah. play, and she's very good in it. Just a story about you know, we shouldn't throw away our old people. Absolutely. Old people are still people. <laughs> but before we move into our fast forward, why don't we do our mixed reviews reviews? So my one star review was 2012's Alex Cross. Mine was 2020's A Fall from Grace. And my five-star review, which also was your five-star review, mm-hmm. is 1974's The Autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Though, once again, seriously, watch The River Niger from 1972 on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and also Sounder and all those other movies we talked about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just, just watch them. Seriously, it's worth it. So we're now in our fast forward. And as we mentioned, uh, you know, she did pass away. 
last week on January 28th, 2021. Last week she was age 96. Uh, you know, fast forward usually reserved for what we're hoping for next or what we'd like to see. Obviously, you know, she's, she's not going to be doing another film, but I think my, what I hope is that her legacy is fully honored as this, this trailblazer, as this person who, who spent her career, as you said, as you put so perfectly in service of, you know, (laughs) You know, listen, it's not her job to tell you that black people are human beings as well, but she did it and she spent her entire career doing it. Yeah. And and I think that's admirable. And and she did it well and she was so incredibly talented and she was awarded for it. And but, you know, I hope that the legacy she leaves behind is that she is not only just an entertainer, not only an icon, but you know, she's a leader. And and yeah. she was able to impart um, her life's work as a roadmap for all these other people to follow and, and to be able to open doors and, and do their things. Yeah, like leader is the perfect word because her legacy is Viola Davis. Her legacy is Regina King. It is Kimberly Elise. It's, it's Tyler Perry even. Like it's yeah. <laughs> all these people who have been able to, you know, build upon her success she talks a lot about tyler perry studios and how he had to bring his own chair to the table said okay fine she talks about ava duvernay and doing the same thing she talks about oprah she talks about like all these people and it it's just like truly she's she's been here through all of it all of it when we talk about how regina king is a true queen like that's because of cicely tyson you know it's and, and then honestly, Cicely Tyson says, you know, Dorothy Dandridge, like, it's, yeah. it's a legacy. Like her legacy is the Harlem Dance Theater. Her legacy is this high school in New Jersey where 600 kids are, you know, learning their craft and and and, and are going to be able to overcome their um, station in life. Like it's her legacy. I think, I mean, she worked so, so hard and I think everywhere you look across the industry, like her legacy is all around us. The the metaphor that she uses constantly and just as I am is of a tree and very much like in the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. And I think that's what she proved is that her roots ended up touching everybody. And those are the foundations in which they've built or have been able to build careers and lives off of. And yeah, mm-hmm. so I just, I, I agree. I truly hope that you know she is remembered for all the amazing things she did and everything she was able to accomplish in her very full life and she was working until the end oh, until absolutely. the end you know i think she saw i mean she's in in the book she talks about Brianna Taylor and all, she's she was still so connected to what was going on she was still so connected to you know to politics to the the struggle the struggle continued and she continued to fight alongside i mean it's just you know it, it really is inspiring to you know talk about someone who um you know not was was not only just an amazing entertainer but was just this human dedicated to other people she was dedicated to her daughter dedicated to her friends dedicated to her family 
and all these wonderful, talented black people around her. God, she talks about um, Jane Fonda. <laughs> yeah, they, they they met on a movie together. And a really how... terrible movie that we didn't mention called The Bluebird, but yeah. And she talks about how Jane Fonda was immediately just so loving, so kind, and they talked about the fucking Vietnam War and how fucked up it was. Jane Fonda might be the one person that can say who has for her entire career also been as passionate about causes outside of her entertainment career. She's part of Cicely's legacy as well because they cross paths as well. It's just, she does have these roots like that tree you mentioned everywhere. Um, so as we, you know, begin this black history month and as we continue in this reawakening of social justice and reckoning, um, and fight that we continue um i just have to say you know to cicely thank you and everyone out there dear listener you know can search out her work look for her work take that in and take part of that with you yeah. i mean truly truly going for it i was like god a life of service absolutely i, I don't know why that Connected with me so much hearing it from her. I think I've heard that before, but hearing it from her and then seeing all the things that she has because done. Because you, be- you believed it. And that's that's really what it, you know, because that's, it's, yeah. it's she con- was constantly putting, you know, the the work where her mouth was. That's, or she was constantly, I don't know, she was paying the dividends, you know, yeah. that's, that's the thing. And so, yeah, I, I agree with those sentiments exactly, Louis. Thank you, Cicely Tyson. And obviously, rest in power absolutely i feel very warm and fuzzy about sicily now yeah thank you aaron for suggesting her her to us um everyone else send us your suggestions we'll put them on the list absolutely Uh, and that's the thing like we are always going to try and get to every suggestion that we get uh but we like like louis said up front we have a back catalog so we sort of pre-plan ahead and, and know what we because it it is it's a real labor of love what we're trying to do so and we want to give everybody their do you know not just not just willy-nilly yeah. and um but yeah not willy or nilly okay absolutely not not, not for cecily uh but uh, if you do want to send us your messages you can always find us at twitter at at the mixed reviews or on facebook just type in the mixed reviews you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com or on instagram just the underscore mixed underscore reviews and if you want to continue listening to us, you can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible. We are everywhere. I know I, a, a lot of you, I, I know, are going through the back catalogs. I've been hearing from some of y'all. You know, um, you know what? Jennifer Lopez has been blowing up for like two weeks. I don't know why. Let's get loud, honeys. (laughs) But but yeah, and honestly, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, if you could go there and leave us a five-star rating and write us a little review, we'll read it on the show because we love hearing from you and we love, you know, we love you, specifically you. This is our service to you. (laughs) We are giving to you. The way that you guys give us love, we send it back in the form of a little podcast to put in your tiny little ears. Thank you, everyone. I think that's it. Yes, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Cicely Tyson, for all the work that you did. And we will be back in two weeks with a special guest and a whole new subject. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. This is my story. Tra-la-la-la. This is my song. Hey, praising my Savior.